Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. In this podcast, we will have questions, quotes, and conversations between different people, and your host will be Pleasant Selecki. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi guys, it's Pleasance. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really such a blessing and such a wonderful part of um, our community and the work to be able to do this with you. If you love our podcast, I'd appreciate if you would share it with a friend, write a review, share on social, um, really helping us spread the messages and the wisdom and the teachings of our lovely beautiful, authentic community. You can also support the podcast financially right here on the Anchor app or in iTunes, and you can leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. Chime in, give me a comment or a question. Send our guests um, a question. Send Sailor for her meditations a question or a comment or feedback. We love, love, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for all your support. And uh, Om Shanti, peace to you all. Yay! Cynthia Kane, welcome finally! Yay! I know, I'm so excited. (laughs) We're even a new name now. We've been (laughs) rescheduling so much. Now it's the Lola Community Podcast. So welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. Thank you. Um, You teach and write a signature, is your book named How to Communicate Like a Buddhist? Yes. So I have two books right now that are out, How to Communicate Like a Buddhist and then Talk to Yourself Like a Buddhist. And then I'm working on the next book in the series right now. And don't you run a course on OM, on that big, wonderful, is it, and is it, are they named after your books as well? Yeah. So the uh, one course up there is called How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. Yeah. Basically, um, you know, the teachings within the book and created for the masses. And then there's another course that just released up there called um, Turn Off the Enemy in Your Mind, which is based around talk to yourself like a Buddhist. I get an ad all the time to take the course. Like, so it comes in and I just like laugh and smile and clap and wave. And I'm like, go, Cynthia. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, there's over, you know, 27,000 people now have taken the- What? Amazing. How to communicate like a Buddhist course. And then uh, the new one just released, which is exciting. Uh, Yeah, so I run um, those programs on Daily Om. And then I have a training program where I train people in- the type of communication that I created, which I call intentional communication. And so that's really more, I mean, I work with people for, you know, 14 weeks, the program to really shift the way that people communicate. Okay. So let's back up. How did you start? How did you create this? And why is this work important in the world? Sure. Um, Well, so I, how did this all start? Um, it all started when my, so my first love, um, who I'd been with for about seven and a half years, he and I had uh, split apart. We had decided that we were going to take the time to grow individually because we had just really grown together um, for much of our, we met when we were 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we believed that the universe would bring us back together when it was like the right time. And four years after we broke up, the universe did bring us back together. Um, and we met in New York and just talked the whole night about, you know, our relationship and kind of the, um, the problems that we had. And a lot of it had to do with communication. Mm. Um, and we just kind of got to a great place where we, we wanted to try again. So the idea was to, to be in each other's lives again. And, and then three months later, he passed away unexpectedly and he um, was kayaking. He was a river guide in Costa Rica. He was from Costa Rica and he was kayaking um, down a river and he got caught in a swell and he drowned and it shattered my world completely. Um, it was like the lowest of my low. I just was kind of empty and blank. And um, I went through just, you know, the whole uh, grieving period, but really trying to figure out how I could feel better because everybody was just so amazing. Like, you know, my family, his family, all my friends, so much support. And everybody really wanted to like help me feel better. And it was just when I realized that actually nobody could, and it was really up to me. And that was my like first aha moment of, okay, if I don't want to die along with Mao, I really need to figure out how, like, how to live in the world again. And so that's when I, I started, you know, just reading all the books and taking the workshops and going on the retreats and seminars and, for me, what it just all came down to was communication. So if I, if I wanted to change the way that I was living in the world, then I was going to have to change the way that I interacted with the world. And that meant that I then had to change the way I interacted with other people. And to do that, then it meant that I had to change the way I communicated with myself. So I was, um, you know, taking all these different classes and a friend of mine just sent me a, a link to the Shambhala Center in New York. They were offering a meditation and writing course. And I had never meditated before. I didn't know much about Buddhism really, just besides what I had kind of picked up in college. And, um, and I went and it completely changed my life because that's where I learned about the elements of right speech in Buddhism, mm -hmm. uh, which the way I teach it is to tell the truth, you know, don't exaggerate, don't gossip and use helpful language. And, once I found those guidelines, I realized, okay, right. Like this is, this is how I want to interact. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it became for me, well, this is lovely in theory, but how do I actually put it into practice? How do yeah. I actually implement this in my day to day? And so that's when I started kind of like this lifestyle experiment. Um, and that's how the practice of intentional communication came about because I started to figure out how to speak in a way that was kind, honest, and helpful. And to do that, it, it really starts with listening to yourself and then learning how to listen to others and then learning how to actually speak so others can hear you and using silence in conversation and then meditation. Meditation is a big piece of it all. So that's, that's really how it all came to be. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think the work 
is so important. Um, I mean, it's completely changed my life, right? I used to be extremely passive aggressive and very judgmental. And I really, you know, Einstein says that one of the biggest um, questions you can ask yourself or one of the most important questions to ask yourself is, is the world a friendly place? And before for me, the world was not a friendly place, right? And, and since being able to change my interactions, how I communicate, the world is a very friendly place. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I have really wonderful relationships and I'm very connected and very present within my relationships. And, um, you know, just being a, a daughter, a mother, an aunt, all of it has really shifted. Um, and so I think generally, it really helps us have the types of relationships that we really want to have. It helps us become more connected. It helps us become more confident. It helps us um, have more energy, right? And live with less regrets because we're actually expressing what it is that is Mm -hmm. upsetting us or what we really need to share, right? Um, So what were you doing for work? before all of this happened? Like, were you already a journalist or a writer or an editor? Or what, what was your sort of career path like? Because I'm, I'm trying to put some of these pieces together. Yeah. So, so before I, so I did my uh, undergrad in MFA in writing. Mm-hmm. So I was creating nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And so after grad school, I uh, became an editor at a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I edited uh, computer books, and then um, fascinating. Yeah, it was really fascinating. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I mean, because I knew absolutely nothing about computers, and it's really interesting because it is, you know, learning about language and frameworks and libraries and all these things. And for some odd reason, I was able to really understand what was going on. <laughs> um, so. Um, so, but yeah, so I started editing computer books and then um, I started editing for other um, publishing houses and then started moving into editing more for individuals, right, on fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Then I became interested in the literary agenting side of things. So I became a literary agent. So I started representing authors and selling their works to publishers. Um, And along with this, I was also writing. So, um, but the material that I was writing before was travel. So I was more geared towards travel writing. Mm -hmm. I lived in Madrid for um, four years and I wrote a hiking guidebook while I was out there. So I was doing a lot of um, writing about Madrid for publications here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, and so really all this happened while I was in Madrid and I was back and forth between Madrid and New York and I completely shifted gears pretty much. I mean, I came back and I was still editing, right. Um, with different publishing companies. And then I finally just let it all go in August so now I'm like a hundred percent working on um, this work. 
since this past August. How long ago, can you give me a little time frame? Your, um, the love Moa, was that, what's his Mao. name? Mao. Mao, sorry. Um, how many years ago was that? When he passed away? Yeah. It was 2011. Okay. And so there's this sort of period where you're stepping more into um, actually using these tools for your life and realizing how valuable they are and making these your own shifts. And now this meant eight and a half years later, whatever, you're coming into now you're just doing this work for yourself, writing your books and teaching your courses, right? So, so, in, 20, so in 2011 was when I started really figuring out the, the practice for me of how to yeah. live in the world. Yeah. Um, and then in, by doing that, I started writing a lot about it. Yeah. And I wrote about it for um, different uh, outlets. Uh, so okay. one article I wrote was for Refinery29. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, um, I was approached by an editor at a publishing house about if I was interested in potentially turning it into a book. Mm-hmm. And I had said yes. And mm-hmm. so that's when I really started. Um, that's when I started working with people around the material to see if it w- could translate, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. not just for me, but for other people. Um, and that's when I also became certified in meditation and mindfulness. So I'm a certified mm-hmm. meditation and mindfulness instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so it's really been kind of building from there. So I'd say around 2012, right? Okay, yeah. 2013, like that time. But the whole time you were really piecing things together with freelancing. And I also, I know you from a lot of different reasons. Like we have a lot of things in common, but one of them is Author Incubator. And you're no longer, you're not editing for them anymore. You left them well, as I'm well. doing or some doing freelance projects for them. Freelance. Got it. I'm Got not. It. I was on, you know, full time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know that you're totally really on your own now. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's talk about who do you work with? Who are the types of people that really benefit from what you're teaching? And so I imagine that some of what you're teaching will come through who you're working with and what you love to help them with. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so it really is, um, I mean, there, there are a lot of different uh, types of people that I work with. Um, I will say uh, I work with a lot of uh, women who are either recently divorced mm. or thinking about uh, becoming divorced mm-hmm. um, or, you know, trying to kind of come back together from, from a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked a lot with... Um, people who have had experiences where they've been let go in their work environment because of how they're communicating with their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with people who are managers, who are looking for different ways to connect with their employees mm-hmm. or the, you know, the people who work mm-hmm. with them. Um, and and then I also have a lot of people that I work with who seek me out for their family, right? So their relationships with their uh, children mm-hmm. to improve their, you know, their family dynamics. So Okay. Who yeah. in your own life, 
when you were going through this process, tell me about the shift um, between your relationships in how you were communicating and sort of what it was like. And then as you were going through this process and really learning a different way of being in the world, really, um, did, did some of the relationships dissolve or what was that sort of that messy period like? Yeah. So I, so I, I mentioned before I was really passive aggressive before. Um, I had a really difficult time expressing myself. Uh, I really, I really felt like it was everybody else's mm -hmm. job to understand what I was thinking without me being able to express it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or to be able to help me feel better without being able to express exactly what that looked like. Mm -hmm. um, I was very reactionary. So anytime there was criticism, I really, I, I, I couldn't handle criticism. Mm -hmm. right? I just went to kind of like the worst possible scenario of absolutely everything. And so the majority of my relationships really looked like um, not paying attention to the other person. Mm -hmm. It was really focused on me mm -hmm. right? and kind of what wasn't working for me. And I really fell into a lot of like victim language. And mm -hmm. then through this, right, through the practice, what ended up shifting was I started becoming more um, present with people. And I started really listening to people and I stopped reacting. So I started being able to be in those difficult interactions. And instead of, you know, getting passive aggressive, shutting down, walking away or lashing out, I basically am now able to see what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. Understand that in the moment that I'm about to kind of default <clears throat> to my old pattern. Mm -hmm. And then in that moment, be able to shift and be present for the other person and be able to respond in a way that's helpful, right? Mm -hmm. So it really all comes down to the purpose of communicating is to help ourselves and others suffer less, right? So in those moments, now I no longer give in to like the pain and the suffering of causing more pain and suffering for the other person and myself. Um, it, my interactions now are more, you know, balanced and equal coming from a place of not from a place of better than or less than, but really coming, you know, as my whole self without judgment or evaluation. Um, and it changed a lot of my relationships. You know, I noticed that so much of, you know, some of my relationships really focused around talking about other people a lot, um, kind of, you know, gossiping about other people and putting other people down. And it became really uncomfortable for me to be around. And so I had to, I mean, I had to leave those types of, um, you know, situations. I, I don't hang out with those groups of people as much. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also had a friendship that just completely dissolved mm -hmm. um, because I finally was able to express myself in a way that was helping kind of 
I mean, helping me move forward in my life, right? In terms of difficult things that had happened, I was able to actually say, you know, this bothers me. I'm frustrated right now. You know, a lot of language that I wasn't able to say before. And I think that was threatening for some um, who had been in a position of me just, you know, not necessarily setting boundaries before. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it was a friendship that I had for so long. She was like my best friend and, um, and you know, it just, it's not that we didn't love each other anymore. It was just no longer a place where both of us could grow together. Right. Or so, yeah. So a lot of my relationships changed, um, in that way, but, but then I'll, then I became, you know, involved in really like healthy Mm-hmm. relationships where like <laughs> it was fun to go out and have conversations and um to really be able to be myself and mm-hmm. to if something bothered me to be able to share it without feeling nervous or feeling fear around it um because I finally felt capable of handling difficult interactions mm-hmm. I finally felt like I could rely on myself because I had the tools now to be able to navigate difficult situations where before I would just kind of let my emotions run me wild. And by the end, I would have no idea what just happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I'm just always really, I like to, you know, dig in to make, to really identify our, in our real lives, some of the messy things that happen as we're growing or expanding or sort of awakening because um, a lot of women will, come to me, they'll go through a course or through sessions or something and then say, oh, I'm noticing that it's harder to hang out with so-and-so or my marriage or my mom is really driving me nuts, right? So what I'm noticing a lot and sort of paying attention to and trying to have conversations around is like, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. And uh, that's the first, I mean, that's like, duh, at this point is how I feel about that. But that when we start out, we're, we're in these uh, relationships that have these patterns that are playing out. And sometimes some of those patterns are just, uh, really, I would say like highlighting or shining a light on other areas of either self-talk that we have or things we don't love about ourselves. And if everybody is a mirror for everybody, then we're in these circles. So as we start to awaken to true nature and to living Dharma and to purpose and meaning, and we start to actually see how we're all connected. It's for me, it's just really uncomfortable to be in situations where there is a lot of like low vibe talk. Yeah. Right. Um, or, or negative or pessimistic or gossip. And so I kind of like, I'm, I do my own thing so I can kind of skillfully like back out of the conversation and float away and whatever, you know, there's a lot of strategies I use. And in some of the relationships, it's so challenging because it's been going on for so long. And what I'm finding too, and what I think a lot of my clients find is that we love the people, like the human we love. It's just some of these patterns and habits in the relationship we don't really want to be with. And then I know I personally have had moments where I've said, where I've kind of had a little martyr, like, now that I'm studying yoga or Buddhism, I don't speak like that. Like I think in my twenties, when I got really into it, I probably sounded a little bit like that, or you should do yoga or you should meditate. Right. 
now I don't say any of that. Um, but I think some of that energy can still sometimes be there. So I'm always trying to be open and compassionate, but just say, this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's also, it's, you know, the, the more kind of going through the practice, the more you start to see other people and how they communicate. Right. Yes. And so, and then you start to notice that, wow, so many people don't communicate aligned with the elements of right speech or, you know, a lot, so many people exaggerate or this person's, you know, um, gossiping or, you know, not using helpful language, but using hurtful language. And, um, and so it becomes almost like you want to fix it. Like you want to say, Hey, but that's actually not right. That's not the role. The role um, for me and for the students that I work with is that in those moments, especially it happens with family, right? Because so much of our communication uh, patterns come from our family, right? Um, and so what the practice is then in that time, right? Is to just, you're noticing that, you know, someone is, using hurtful language. And that's just a reminder for you to recommit to your practice, Mm -hmm. right? To recommit to speaking in a way that's kind, honest, and helpful. Um, And because the the big piece is just to, to allow others really to be as they are. Yeah. Um, And once we can do that, then we're not trying to force our communicate. We're not trying to force anyone to listen to something or hear something or you know, to get our point of view across. And um, it becomes really much more of a a dialogue to understand, okay, this person has completely different uh, views potentially than I do. We can completely, we don't have to agree, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. I can still be in their presence and I can still have a conversation with them, even though I'm not agreeing necessarily with what they, Mm -hmm. they're saying or how they're interacting. So, yeah. And it's not, I mean, the, the other piece is like, there's two things. One is that what I've noticed over time is that it comes sort of in stages and, and maturity, almost like spiritual maturity. Like the longer you practice or study or have these kind of conversations, the more insights, right? It's not like I learned it once and then I, and that's it. And now I'm good to go like for life. And that one of the things that I, I think is so important is that we talk about the time uh, that practice, you know, practicing something over time, right? That's one of the foundational teachings is over, what is your experience over time? Yeah. Uh, because some of these habits, I imagine, I mean, they just can't change in a week, right? I mean, but that's why, I mean, that's why I call this a practice, right? It's a practice because we're constantly practicing. I mean, there's not a moment that you master this, right? Right. This is, this is something that you, I mean, you fall off and you come back on. Yeah, right. Um, and it's those moments, like with most everything, but it's those difficult moments, those stressful moments, those moments where you default back to your yeah. normal reactions, right? Where you end up seeing, okay, what did I do well here? What could I have done better? Mm-hmm. Right? What could I have changed to maybe keep it so that the conversation um, felt, you know, productive or empowered or that you know both of us didn't leave feeling depleted and um upset Mm -hmm. right um how can i make this situation better yeah and i think that that's where 
you know, sort of good sleep and good self-care and a regular journaling practice or exercise, movement, nature, all these things that, you know, we know, uh, know in quotes we should be doing. Um, this is where they're really a benefit because you have the space and sort of that inner connection to be able to notice and rather than being what you had said earlier, reactive, 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 and never sort of pausing to really ask those bigger questions, right? Which I think is what I love so much in Buddhist philosophy is, in, well, in lots of Eastern traditions is, are these bigger questions that we sort of live by in Ayurveda, we start every day, like what nourishes me today? How can I mother myself today? Oh, so delicious to start your day that way and treat ourselves with kindness. Um, it's been life-changing for me. Um, can you give me a specific example of talking like a Buddhist in a situation and not talking like a Buddhist in a situation, maybe from your own life or one of your clients? <laughs> um, sure. Um, so, okay. So um, let's say that um, Okay, let's say that you are, or do you want an example from my life or just? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, for example, so the other, um, well, I can think of many, but okay. <laughs> the, other, um, the other day, um, my, so Brian, my husband, um, he was uh, downstairs and he had put the laundry in, like, you know, to do the laundry. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> he came upstairs and I went downstairs and suddenly there was like water just like overflowing everywhere. Um, and okay, so I could have said, what in the world did you do? <laughs> why did you put the laundry, like, why did you pack the laundry so high, right? Because there's like an actual level, right? <laughs> yes. um, you know, like that's, I could have gone that direction, right? That would not have been necessarily talking like a Buddhist or using the elements of right speech, right? In the sense that it's a complete exaggeration, <clears throat> because I don't necessarily know the truth of the situation, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, right? So I'm not, um, I'm not being honest, right? I'm not speaking truthfully. Um, <clears throat> and then I'm not being, using helpful language, excuse me. <clears throat> okay. And then I'm not using <clears throat> helpful language because it's basically attacking him. So he's not gonna be able to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. <clears throat> so instead, then it becomes me noticing what's going on. <clears throat> okay, me noticing what's going on, and then going upstairs and saying, "So the the laundry machine seems to be full. I think it's over. It's overflowing right now." <clears throat> and then, oh my goodness! It's okay. <laughs> Take your time. <clears throat> okay. 
So then <clears throat> it's me <laughs> still there. <laughs> I think it's ah, winter. January is here. Everyone's got hoarse <laughs> voices and okay. Ah. There we go. Much better. All right. Um, so it's me going up to him and saying, you know, the there's water around the laundry machine. Mm -hmm. I think it's overflowing. Um and to which he responded, I may have packed it too high, right? And, but then it, I could have still responded with, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. But instead it became more around, well, what should we do together to fix this situation? So that was really accepting the situation, looking for truth, looking just for sort of facts rather than adding on blame or shaming someone into something because most certainly he wasn't trying to right. overload, right? So was there a pause moment? Is your like uh, autopilot to do that? I think you talked about this a little bit, but I'm wondering if it's still sort of like that. When you, were, when you saw this happening, was that the first reaction and then there, there was like a positive intervention to sort of say pause, breath or whatever you do to, to remember that in order to see the other yeah. side? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, there's, it's, it's also being in situations like, for example, if I, because my default is to get passive aggressive. Yeah. So when I start noticing that I am getting passive aggressive, mm -hmm. that's when... I know that I need to pause, mm -hmm. right? Go inside, get present, and then choose a different way to respond. Mm -hmm. So that's like the trigger. Does your so tell me a little bit about your whatever you're comfortable sharing about your marriage? And is he, you know, it's funny because I I feel like some of us are married to uh, very natural <laughs> Buddhist like have Buddhist like qualities, men or women who are just sort of, you know, go with the flow, they, they see it that way and they don't, there's not a lot of response or trigger. And then there's obviously the sort of more resistant, cerebral pushback, uh, very strong. And obviously there's a huge range in between, but I'm curious about your own relationship and how your work is, is really complementing your marriage or is it, is it give you a lot of good content to work with in practice? <laughs> so I think, I mean, for me, it, it complements my marriage in the yeah. sense that, well, so I work really hard, right? Communicating is a, a very, um, I mean, it's not something I was good at. So for me, it's a, it's something I work really hard at. It's a practice that I choose daily, right? I set my intentions daily and I stick there and I align. Um, and so it makes it so that we have a really great relationship and partnership. Um, Brian to me has, it, it's almost, sometimes I tell him, it's like all these things that I feel like I need to work really hard at, he just kind of has. Right. 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 Yes. Um, and so it's, it's that kind of relationship, yeah. right. Yeah. In the sense, although he, you know, he and I are not, um, similar in a lot of ways mm -hmm. when it comes to, um, you know, kind of, he, he's not a reactor, right? Mm -hmm. He really is kind of more even healed. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me with that type of relationship, it, 
the, the challenge in that situation for me is to make sure that I am speaking, right? Mm -hmm. And saying what needs to be said. Mm -hmm. uh, because it would be very easy just to coast and not have anything be brought up, mm -hmm. right? Because his temperament is to just kind of be okay with things, right? Yeah. But I, I am the opposite. I yeah. need, you know, I'm very much feeling oriented. Um, so, so yeah. And then, I mean, there are other examples I could give of, you know, clients who have um, been, you know, going to a, a dinner party and um, having a, having a moment before leaving with uh, their husband around trying to find their keys and they couldn't find their keys. And because they couldn't find their keys, they got a little stressed and then, you know, they decided to just take the husband's car and in the car on the way to the party, uh, the husband was saying, you know, you really should put your keys in the same place mm -hmm. every time so that you know where they are. Right. And, um, my student, she was, she got upset by it because she normally does, but in this instance, they just weren't where they normally were. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so she just kept saying to him, I got it. I got it. Like, just let it go. Forget it. I got it. Okay. And then, you know, then he got upset and then he didn't really want to join her right in the, in the dinner party. And so it became a bigger mm -hmm. kind of, you know, pattern mm -hmm. that just kept reoccurring of just suffering here. Yeah. And so if in the car ride, if she would have just said, you know, I understand what you're saying. Like I can, I completely hear what you're saying. I mean, that, that's really all she would need to say. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because she knows she's already upset with herself. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, she knows already what to do. She can just acknowledge where he's coming from to let him know that she hears what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of times what we end up learning when we start practicing this is that we don't need to say as much as we say, we <laughs> talk as much, right? A lot of my students, they, they just realize that they've been talking around things, saying too many things that make it really difficult for other people to understand where they're coming from, to understand what their point is. A lot of my students will say that they, um, you know, people in meetings will be like, just get to the point. And it, I mean, so much of the way we speak is just around what it is that we actually want to say. And so this practice really helps you commit to speaking to the direct experience. Mm -hmm. I'd love your thoughts just because I don't always get to ask this kind of question um, with, anyway, it's just something I'm super curious about. How do you feel um, about the sort of current state of, well, first of all, are you still with Shambhala uh, given all the stuff that's happened in Shambhala that's been going on forever that was not hidden and now the stuff that was hidden that's now released on abuse and sort of how you're working with your own uh your own relationships to these communities like sort of parallel social media where we're literally getting some of these exaggerations non-truth some of these stories it's very hard and it's and for me it's just gives so much sort of depth and question and 
things to think about when we're talking about Buddhist practices and theory alongside social media and the context of the world that we live in. So where are you personally with all of this right now and how are you sort of thinking about it? So personally, I, so I don't ascribe myself to any school of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really, I use the philosophy. I see it as a philosophy and I lead my life aligned with the practices that I believe in, the philosophies that I believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though the tradition that I'm most familiar with is Shambhala, mm-hmm. right? um, I mean, I, I also love to learn about all the, the different schools. I mean, there's so many different schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it's such a personal practice that I really try not to, um, I'm not a big social media person mm-hmm. because of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find social media really difficult because especially within the kind of work that I'm doing, because I, w- I would like to reach a, a lot of people, right? I'd love to um, connect with more people so more people can find the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I have this, um, I, I think I have this idea that to do that, it needs to look like what you see out there. Mm-hmm. And I, because I don't believe in that, <laughs> I feel back from it. And so, um, so I think the difficulty I find with social media is that it just, it kind of focuses on what you were mentioning before, like the unicorns and the, you know, the beauty and the really kind of playing into this idea of like what your life will look like if X, Y, Z happens. And it's true. Life can look like that. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not where we are it's not where we start it's not where how we grow um and so a lot of times i i don't connect with with what's out there i i like to you know on instagram i like when people post quotes that's like my (laughs) because i'm like okay well and also it's like one dimensional and we're not one dimensional and we can be you know, loving and kind and aggressive at times. And we yeah. can be generous and we can be an asshole. Like we, we're so much more dynamic. And I think when we present ourselves in social media a certain way, and then because of branding, you have to sort of keep yeah. this way, you get in this box that, that is causing so much anxiety because it's not whole and dynamic. And so I, one of the things that I just want to make sure that we're always talking about with real lives and real stories is that there is this incredible shift in beauty and how you see the world and how you're living. And one of your closest relationships had to dissolve in order for you to fully expand. And we do hard things. Mm -hmm. We get through things. I, I say all the time, like everything has a beginning, a middle and an end. And I don't mean that in a negative way or in a difficult way, but Buddhist philosophy has taught me that, that everything has a beginning, a middle and an end and it's okay. Yeah, it is. It's these other things we don't talk about, these layers and, 
And how do we bring these concepts in the world, just like you said, like in a way that is in alignment with the actual teachings? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think it's something that I think about all the time. You're thinking about other people who do the work we do. Um, and I think it's also happening in the larger, like sort of Buddhist conversation in general and dialogue. How do we, how do we work with all of this? And you don't, and I just want to be clear, nobody has to be Buddhist to understand these teachings or no, anything, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, not at all. I mean, right. <laughs> really, you know, because I, so even though I follow follow like Buddhist philosophy and I like prescribe by certain practices, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a Buddhist. Right. Right. Vow. Right. Um, to me, it's really about anybody who is wanting to change the way that they communicate. Yes. Right? Yeah. These are guidelines that you can use to do just that. Yeah. And then I'm going to actually show you then how to actually implement them. Yeah. Right. Right. So it can be used anybody can use it. Right. Um, and I do, I do just want to say, you know, in terms of just like, you know, transformation or growing or healing or moving through, right. Or this idea of the practice shifting my life to make it so that I can speak, you know, openly about my fears or, that I can handle difficult conversations, right? Mm -hmm. all, all of the things that changing my communication has brought me, it doesn't mean that I don't have those moments where I'm with Brian and I am like, I really wanna be passive aggressive right now. Like <laughs> so badly, I wanna be passive aggressive and I wanna hurt you with my words so much right now, but I am not gonna do that, mm -hmm. right? But it's like actually saying those things out loud. Totally. totally. Pretty often, right? And just being like, I am so frustrated right now. I just need to like close yeah. my eyes and I need to breathe, right? Give me like three seconds. Yeah. Right? So it's like, it's not, it's not pretty, but the feeling is beautiful. Totally. You know? I, I use this example all the time is when I quit drinking people would say, do you want to come over for wine? And I'd get this really uncomfortable, like I'd have this whole dialogue in my body, in my mind. Should I tell them? Should I not tell them? I don't want to shame them. I don't want to trigger them. I don't want them to feel bad. Is this going to feel bad? Do they think I'm weird? Do they think I'm pregnant? Like I would just go through this whole list of things. And finally, I just started saying, this is so awkward for me because I just quit drinking and I never know how to answer this. And so I'm still really uncomfortable in my body because I love wine and I don't want you to feel bad. So thanks for the offer. Want to have tea? You know, just kind of like. So it's that is talking like a Buddhist, right? <laughs> it is. It's totally, it's a hundred percent talking like a Buddhist. Uh, I'm a little less wordy now about it because I've had, I've gone through it a few times, but I just was getting kind of jammed in conversation and notice that there was this long pause and then I just decided it's time to just say what I'm thinking in this case, you know, um, until it's not so new and it's more comfortable, you know, well, you're saying it in a way that's not, I mean, it's not coming from a place of judgment, shame, or, you know, no. better than, right. I'm it's, not drinking. Right. So. Like, I'm not drinking right now. I don't know what you're doing. 
I don't know why you're, no, I'm just kidding. But it's all of that is what I'm just very mindful of. Yeah. Um, Okay. So to wrap up, my last question is what are some daily practices? You've talked a lot that there are some things that you do daily, that there are some practices you have. Can you give us an example of a few that people who are listening might be able to use today? Yeah. Or this week? Yeah. So I, um, so I normally set an, a communication intention each morning. Mm. Um, and so this is something that, I mean, it really is just saying, you know, today I commit to speaking um, honestly with, you can choose one person, mm-hmm. right? Or it's today I commit to being fully present within my conversations at work. And that looks like, right, and defining kind of what that looks like. Um, and I, I, I'm actually just n- next week, I'm launching a, a intentional communication challenge, a 30 day challenge. Oh, great. Yeah. And it really, I mean, it, it sets you up for like a morning, uh, practice and an evening great. practice. Um, but so every morning I, I make a communication commitment mm-hmm. that's aligned with the elements of right speech. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I, I meditate mm-hmm. every day. Um, but in terms of just like when you're in conversation, if, when you start to notice yourself feeling contracted, like if you just check in with your body around certain people, if you notice that you're feeling, um, tight or, you know, just kind of your, your insides are warm. You can feel kind of the heat rising when you start to get angry or when you start to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. In that moment, just start noticing the emotion and see if you can, you know, just breathe alongside the emotion mm-hmm. and then let it go and come back to your present moment, right? So even though you might want to act on the emotion, the idea is just to start noticing it, label it, put it to the side, come back to your present moment and potentially choose a different response. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I call it SIP. It's basically it's the acronym SIP. Like, cause I think of like when you're sipping wine or tea mm-hmm. or coffee, <laughs> um, but you, you basically like, you want to slow everything down. Mm-hmm. You slow down, you go inward. Mm-hmm. Right. And you get present. Mm-hmm. And that's a practice that, you know, I do, daily. Yeah. It's so, uh, we haven't talked about parenting at all and maybe uh, you'll come back and we can do motherhood uh, at some point um, or we could teach something together on that. That would be super would fun, be like Washington yoga style. Um, because I, yes, use this daily with my son right now who's very challenging and having a really challenging time, his nervous system at school because even though the school is wonderful, it's very big and there's a lot of energy and he's very sensitive. And I, like I think most moms, want to fix it and make it all better. And my heart hurts for him. And I'm human. So when he comes home raging and hangry and crying, um, I go through a whole range of emotions in five minutes, right? I want to fix it. Sometimes I mother him. Sometimes I yell at him. I I do all the things and this sort of paying attention that this is not really working um, is I'm, I am creating more space before I pick him up 
and setting the intention before I pick him up that today I'm going to respond with loving kindness and uh, no speech. I don't talk at all. Uh, And I hold his hand, which he likes. I'm not doing it forcefully. He reaches out for it and he holds my hand. And I've been reading research about what handholding does to the brain and the nervous system. And it's unbelievable. So I'm so glad that we're sort of, we're intuitively doing that. But now I know that there's awesome research behind it. Um, And the way to do that is just like you said, it is a practice of watching this sort of cycle of dis-ease and discomfort and frustration and pull it instead of going tight and going around him and doing more, I'm doing less. I'm doing way less. I'm just moving back, but I'm sort of that supportive guide, um, which is also good for his brain and his nervous system. Um, But it is, it's something that requires attention and intention. And um, I, I want to be that kind of parent, you Mm -hmm. know, for sure. And I think that that's like, it's a wonderful thing you mentioned because it is, before interactions that you know could be challenging, right? It's great to set the intention for it. Also, on those days where like you are sleep deprived and yeah. you are impatient, you just know that you're impatient, right? It's that's when you know and you commit to working harder. That's when you work harder at you know listening to your language to make sure that it's helpful when you work harder at just allowing yourself to be there for the person without trying to fix them. Right. But just allowing them to, to be. Yeah. Right. And it's also, I think, you know, just the notion of, um, of, um, being, it's, it's the observer, right. We become kind of an observer of our language and of how we're interacting and um, knowing how we want our interactions to feel and moving more towards that, right? So in those moments where we do feel contracted or that tightness, it's almost like that's the, your practice in that moment is to just say to yourself, open, 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 mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Stay open. Because so much is that we default, like we get to our edge and then we default back to our old way right, of communicating. Mm -hmm. And we do so out of fear, complete fear, right, most of the time. Um, Because A, we don't feel like we know what we're doing, or B, like, we think whatever we end up doing will create a worse situation. Mm -hmm. But we don't know, right? We don't know Mm -hmm. what could possibly be. It could be amazing if we, instead of, you know, saying, uh, no, simply just allowing the child to just feel their feelings after, yeah. to say no, but then let them feel that feeling of yeah. being frustrated instead of, you know, jumping in and trying to make them feel better right away. Yeah. And I just want to acknowledge that there is a, a tremendous amount of privilege in having this conversation and in my own making priorities and choices about how I live my life, um, how much I work or don't work, mm-hmm. the uh, community work I do, the boards, all of that, the, the really downshifting that I have intentionally done, um, which may or may not mean less income. It may or may not mean um, it, 
things on the resume. It may or may not be ego feeding in conversation, but I know that I am incredibly sensitive and I take on emotions. It's my superpower and my shadow. And that for me to parent and love the, my children the way that I believe they're deserved to be loved right now in my life, I have to be very, I want to be, I desire to be strategic and thoughtful with what I'm choosing to do and not because the pace of life that I see women and families in our area, because we live in DC and many people who listen live in very busy cities. And I just want to be clear that the choices that we make impact our relationships. And at the end of the day, I want to go to sleep at night knowing that I have these really high quality relationships, even if there's many fewer than there was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And I am okay with that. That is an alignment to my life and my values, which I'm not saying anybody else needs to adopt them. I'm just saying, I really believe in that quote. I think it's Joan Didion, the quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's her quote. And I think of that quote all the time. Yeah. Especially in yoga, where people, where I've seen a lot of people in DC be very aggressive and mean and greedy in yoga centers, in yoga classrooms. I think, what's happening here? Why are we shutting down? Why are we so angry towards one another around sharing blocks (laughs) or the space that our yoga mat is in? And I think of the, that quality of relationships is that you can sort of have children and practice yoga and still kind of be an asshole (laughs) in a lot of ways. And I just am, I don't want that. Like, that's not how I want to live my life. So I have to make choices and I'm privileged enough in lots of ways to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, By even knowing my values is a privilege by deciding I don't want or need more clothes or bags or shoes this year because I'm happy with what I have. And I'd rather not work from three to 6 PM because that is when my son needs me. I'm making a choice. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any values or choices that you're very intentional about that may look different than sort of quote unquote normal society? Yeah. I mean, so my, I think, you know, my, Choices also are around family mm-hmm. in the sense that I, for me, I really love spending time with my son mm-hmm. and I love spending time with my husband and I love spending time with all of us. Mm-hmm. So for me, I know that, you know, at around 4 PM, I'd like to be done with mm-hmm. everything that I'm doing so I can go get my son and we have, you know, a good three hours or so before bedtime and, um, and I can be a hundred percent with him, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything else mm-hmm. in that time except being with him, quality time with him. Um, and the same thing on the weekends. So I used to work on the weekends mm-hmm. um, and it's been so refreshing not to. Yeah. Um, I just feel so much better about um, I feel so much better about what I'm doing because I'm not working yeah. on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and I, I really get to be a hundred percent with Holden and Brian yeah. and, you know, with where, whatever we're doing. And that, that to me is a, a big priority. So I, I no longer work on the weekends and the same thing. I no longer, um, run classes or workshops on weekends mm-hmm. because to me that's family time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I mean, my days do look different, I'm sure, because yeah. I choose to work from home, right? you know, and um, I, you know, I choose to make time uh, to meditate in the morning, and then I choose to schedule at least, you know, 30 minutes to exercise during the day. So I mean, all those choices create a life that I really enjoy living. Yeah, right. You know? um, and it also means, like you said, there are certain things that I, I just don't have, nor do I need, mm -hmm. um, because I'm choosing to spend my time mm -hmm. elsewhere. Or even the client, I even think of like, this is such a clear model of abundance, like not abundance, like let's create more money trees, but like abundance in, in terms of our actual life, because the, the trigger or the resistance that I hear is someone saying, but what if a client wants you on the weekends or at nights? And it's about that sort of like, okay, well, I can refer them or then I'm not the person for them right. at this stage yeah. or season um, because I'm filling my cup. I'm working within my boundaries and I'm not allowing myself to be there for everybody and be for everybody, um, which I think maybe in the past you did. I know I definitely did. Um, and then once I sort of switched that energy and really said like, it's okay, you know, I don't have to be for the people who want on the weekends or at nights or whatever your boundary is that you find this extra sort of inner abundance. And sometimes that's financial and sometimes it's energy and sometimes it's connection. Like it can look a lot of ways, you yeah, know, definitely it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it used to be very much like client focused. Yeah. Yeah that what what was needed was what I would give in terms of time mm -hmm. um, and now it's not that way anymore I mean really Monday and Friday are my days mm -hmm. and I I work with students you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday mm -hmm. um, and you know because I need those days like mm -hmm. I, I need the Monday to write and work on my books and I need the Friday for self-care and yeah. for, you know things that make it so that I continue to be, you know, the, the person that I need to be for me, my family and for the people that I work with. Mm -hmm. so, and I love, like, I, I love all the, the people that I work with. And yeah. so I want to be able to show up for them and be able to be there for them a hundred percent. Um, Cynthia, thank you so much for everything that you do in the world and helping us communicate more clearly and intentionally. Where can people find your books and your classes? So my books, uh, you can find at any bookstore um, and also on Amazon, right? Okay. To communicate like a Buddhist and talk to yourself like a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. um, you can find two courses on Daily Om, so how to communicate like a Buddhist on Daily Om and then turn the turn the enemy in your mind off. That is not the, the phrasing. <laughs> not the enemy in your mind um, on daily own. And then I also, there's a course on insight timer yeah. uh, around just becoming a better communicator. And that's really focused more on cultivating right speech through meditation. Okay. Uh, so it's more focused on meditation. And then, you know, you can always sign up for my newsletter at cynthiacane.com and that's when you know where I send out a lot about the training program that I offer and the intentional communication challenge that I'll be running mm -hmm. and, and all that good stuff 
Yay. Thank you so much for everything you do in the world. I'm super glad we were finally able to do this and hopefully we can do something live and in person together in 2019, which would be really fun. That would be so great. Thank you so much. Take care. Happy new year. Bye baby.